Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Marshalls Matter, and that was provided by Yelma Vandelit on Twitter. Thank you very much for that, Yelma. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I'm certainly not desperately typing show notes at the very, very last minute. How about yourself? Preparedness is next to godliness. And it's not like you had a lot to do, is it? It's not like you had a lot on your plate. You had hours of watching safety cars and and red flag periods. Yeah, certainly no entire race report to write and publish before I do race notes, before we do a show, and a helpful hour and a half worth of safety car and stoppage time (laughs) just to randomly be included. Yeah, but that's that's the beauty of um, of doing anything around F1 on a Sunday. If the race gets delayed, um, you know, you do get affected. And it was quite handy for the Sky commentators to remind us that actually whatever happens, the race had to be finished four hours after the start time. It couldn't go on indefinitely. Yeah, no, there is a time limit that they impose on these things um, apart from the... Uh lap limit that gets included but it was sort of an interesting view behind the scenes as to some of the reasons why like for example we started on lap three instead of lap two um because well you know we did have Mm. time to talk about such things today and hands up whose family was really really understanding that you had to spend an extra hour or so in front of the tv hands up don't be shy I can't see any hands up at all. No families were understanding. Uh, oh no, I'm seeing a few. I'm seeing a few in the live chat. Hello to the live chat room. Let me tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. 
We're joined by our race analyst and Hamfosi, resident Hamfosi, uh, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Um, Alex, um, I was so unsufferable, insufferable after Lewis Hamilton took his sef- seventh title that I had to bring a, a corn fork and jab myself with it every time I went too far. Um, you had that race review off, but I'm assuming you're still on somewhat of a high. I am, but can we not mention this at the beginning of the show before the new listeners don't realise that we're Hamfosi oh, right. and, and disappear off first? But um, no, it's been an emotional one this weekend. It, um, it was pretty shocking what happened today and it's going to be interesting to talk about it. We'll, we'll definitely get into it. And as is, um, as is our normal practice, when there's a big, a big item during the race we will go to it first so before one and lost we will address of course that horrific crash uh, with Roman Grosjean but we're also joined from all the way in uh, I don't know where I don't know where Holland is but uh, I think it's somewhere in Europe by Jules Sagers hello Jules hi guys and you must be slightly a happy man I know you're not a massive Max Verstappen fan but some Dutch pride for a second place today yeah, sure. It's been a while since uh, since uh, Max has been on the podium, and um, yeah, I thought he drove really well. Yeah, awesome. Well, tell you what, let's get on to what I know everybody is is dying to talk about. So normally we would talk about where the race was won and lost, Matt, but I think we get straight to what everybody's thinking about, which is that incredible event around Roman Grosjean on the first lap. Uh, You've been watching motorsport for a long time, as have I, but there was about a minute and a half before we began to get the first reports where I was just sitting here feeling the blood just draining from my face, thinking not another one, not again. So let's roll that back a little bit and, and talk about exactly how that played out for us, uh, watching it as viewers. And um, in case any of you guys you know, at home were affected by the scenes you saw today, you weren't alone. Um, certainly Daniel Ricciardo has come out since the race and has actually criticised the world feed for showing too much of those replays. Now, you could definitely argue in the defence of, of of the broadcasters that it was in the, the public F1 interest people wanted to see what happened in something that can only be described as extraordinary um and almost like a once in a once in a lifetime once in a generation type of accident so you can see why they wanted to play it but it was certainly it was graphic and i think they were only able to do it because thank goodness it it seems like everything has worked out um now alex you've got an official statement from Haas F1 to put this into context because I just want everybody to know if you are if you had been affected by that you're not the only one we were affected by that massively uh, as well but that's not to say you know the whole show is going to be taking a somber tone thankfully it, it looks like it's it's good news in the end and a lesson learned relatively cheaply Alex yeah there's a been an official statement already from the Haas team um and it looks like um So the update states, uh, team statement, Roman Grosjean, medical update. Following medical evaluation by doctors at the Bahrain Defence Force Hospital, Haas F1 team driver Roman Grosjean will remain in hospital overnight to be treated for burns sustained on the back of both hands after his opening lap incident at the Bahrain Grand Prix. All x-rays performed on Roman uh, came back clear of fractures. 
updates will be given when further information is available, which is amazing news. The fact that he can have that kind of an accident, which is horrific. I mean, personally, I saw fire and I instantly thought for the absolute worst. Um, And then you see the pictures of him emerging from the fire to just have some burns on his hands, considering he came out with one shoe missing was unbelievable i I, i'm i'm emotional thinking back to it i was emotional watching it actually happen and to hear that he's fine and potentially could sound that sounds it could jump straight back in the car next week is incredible if he jumps straight back in the car he is my absolute hero uh but just you know the 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 words you were trying to avoid there were when you saw the ball of flames you thought you just watched a driver die and I'll be completely honest, we saw it uh, from the, the the nose on view and you saw cars in the background going through. But what was very clear was the fact that Roman Grosjean had gone in at a very blunt angle to a barrier and then his car had exploded. And we have never, I don't think I've ever seen a car explode on impact like that. It was absolutely horrific. My heart was in my mouth, uh, Matt, and I'm watching this, bear in mind, Formula One is a, a family viewing event. I'm watching this with my 10-year-old lad. I'm looking, he's sitting on the sofa behind him, behind me, and I'm like, fella, I was like, little fella, come here, come here, sit next to me. I got him to sit next to me. His mouth was open. He was just in complete, like, shock of, like, what on earth am I looking at? And I was reminded of, uh, you know, 12, 13-year-old me watching Ayrton Senna at Imola. Uh, yeah, it was... It was horrifying, and I think what really drove it home for a lot of viewers, I mean, because uh, we could think about Alonzo at Turn 1 in Australia, for example, for, for, a, similar, uh, for a similar shock, but, and, and there was the F2, the tragic F2 race in Spa, of course, where we've seen a car in half in, recent, in very recent memory, and of course, you know, Bianchi and, and Japan, which no one will ever forget if you were watching, you were right. I, I have to go back uh, in terms of Formula One. I have to go back a long way to the 90s to think about cars being on fire. And then that's 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 Formula One cars in the pit lane. In terms of crashes, if you're thinking about fires, you're always thinking about the 70s and Nicky Lauda and things like that. So it's the fire aspect of it that I think really shocked a lot of people because you just, with the modern safety and with the, the fuel bladders that they use, you just do not expect to see fire at that level, even after a crash uh, with that kind of G impact. I mean, for me, initially, I didn't know who it was. I was like, who the hell has just exploded? Um, which was horrible. And then I was, I've, I've been tweeting a lot today. And one of the comments I made on Twitter was, I don't actually know how I could have watched F1 in the 60s and 70s and watch that kind yeah. of thing happen week in, week out. I mean, I can't remember what the stats is, but I think in the 60s and 70s, they lost like 70 people, which is beyond bonkers. And uh, I remember watching a documentary not long ago, and the last thing was at Zanvoort, a car upside down on fire and a driver trying to turn it over and then giving up. And it was dis- distressing, to say the least. And I, I'm, I'm still flabbergasted by it. And <laughs> I was definitely one of the people who didn't want to keep seeing replays of it. And yep. now when I see a replay pop up, I don't want to see it anymore. I'm, I'm done watching replays of it, even though I know he's okay. So 
I know this is a race review, but I, I just want to go back to when people were arguing about the halo. And I really, really hope that argument is done now. Because in that Armco barrier, they're called Armco barriers, aren't they? The metal ones. You could you can literally see the the piercing shape of the halo that carved Roman Grosjean's way through through there to safety instead of it being his head doing that. I I would like to know if there is anybody out there who is still willing to defend the position of don't have a halo, because I think today your your position is don't have a halo, get your own way, and Roman Grosjean died today. So I think that's that's a very hard position to defend now. Jules, argument done. Halo, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I think the 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 thing about this accident is this the 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 violence it uh, it, it showed us uh, the, the a car split in half uh, one piece gone through the through the barrier the whole explosion the instant explosion we're used to things getting uh, set on fire but it, it's like gradually but this was so instant and so big and it's like alex said you, know, you had to think a, a long time back uh, the the jos verstappen pit fire oh, 94 yes. but yeah but that was vapors the, 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 yeah that was kind of exactly. like exactly. Yeah, yeah. with such fire that must have been like like piquet or burger in in the Tamborellos in the late eighties. So it's we're so not used to this. And then the so that that's that's a big factor in like how shocking this was. And and even in the replays, um, uh, with when when you saw Grosjean getting out, you knew he was safe. But still, seeing those replays, that was just like yeah, it was a real weird feeling. The interesting comment you make there, Jules, is when you talk about violence. This was at the beginning of a straight. This was at the initial throttle phase, and that's how big that accident was. And, you know, if it was later on, it would have been even higher speed. Yeah. So, you know, every single driver on that grid earned their money today. I mean, forgetting back in the car. I mean, I was having this conversation again on Twitter earlier, which was the the to be able to put that in the back of your mind get back in the car, close the visor and drive. And <laughs> again, they were smacking into each other on that one. And I, you know, it just shows how much they, they're either nuts or they just earn their money well. Well, yeah. I mean, there was loads of comments about, you know, well, how, if you were another driver, could you look at that and then get back into the car? Now, because we've enjoyed a relatively safe period of motorsport, we forget the way that people are built when they have jobs that require constant risk. So firemen, uh, military people, pilots, paramedics, they accept risk as part of their day-to-day and and racing drivers will be the same. So it's not like, you know, me as a presenter seeing that and then going, right, now put yourself at an incredible risk. It's not, it's not quite the same. Um, but in any case, it is still immensely impressive to see the the skill that Roman Grosjean had in that situation to get his bearings, realise where he was, undo his safety belt. Apparently, he crawled through the side of the halo because that was the only way he could get out. And and let's be completely clear, Matt. In that time, consumed in flames for 45 seconds after a horrific crash, being spun around, not knowing where you are, not being able to see what you're doing, flames all around you, your visor being burnt, he was literally fighting for his life. Because as great as the guys at the scene of the accident were, they weren't going to get in and grab him out of those flames. Like he he pulled an absolute blinder getting himself out that car. Driver of the day for that alone. 
Yeah, and you left off the fact that when he exited the car, his left boot was not on his foot. That's the kind of escape we are talking about yeah. here. And props, too, to the medical car, Alan Vandermeerve, who drove it, and Ian Roberts, who was the attending doctor, for their deployment of the fire extinguisher and for aiding him across the fence and to the medical car. And for all those of you who wondered what that car at the back of the grid is doing when the race starts. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the medical car, and now you know. It's interesting. I got a, I got a question from a friend of mine, um, Nick, who's sometimes in the chat, um, who asked me, what does the medical car do on the first lap? Because, you know, it's it, it, it's behind them. How far around the lap does it go? I mean, I, I, I thought it may have pulled into the pits, or does it do a full lap? Because obviously, if it does a full lap, it's likely to get lapped. So it's an interesting conversation to have when it comes to talking about the safety of the medical car and what it actually does yeah no definitely and uh but i think the medical car would have two f1 laps to get back to the pits before being lapped if you think about it so i think that's that is quite doable um just a quick shout out then again to the medical team they're running towards the flames and you know there's not much they can do Uh, they try and put the fire out thankfully grosjean pops his head up and the second he does that fella, I've forgotten his name. Is it Roberts? I think Ian what? Roberts. Ian yes. Roberts is straight into the fire to pull him out. So the guy's an absolute legend. But also, let's have a shout out to the the marshals on the track who ran towards it with a fire extinguisher, with minimal training, completely being volunteers, and just saw bad thing. I need to help. There was a lot of talk about it from Franz Tots about driver caps, driver salaries, ten million this, forty million for that driver. Maybe we can pay marshals. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. Spannersready at gmail.com or mistapexpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tell me why F1 with so much money can't afford to pay marshals at the top of their game, especially the ones who are expected to run towards burning cars. Um, well, Matt, any, anything else on this? Well, I think I would just go with whatever other safety failings we can always point at. And understanding safety is a game of better and not perfect. Yes. You have to say that the systems that were in place functioned as intended today, and it's fortunate for everyone involved that they did. Now, I'm sure they'll be looking at the barrier, and there was a lot of talk about that, but if I'm going to bring up an issue that's going to resonate throughout the rest of, oh, look at you. Mm -hmm. Go on then. Look at you. If I'm going to bring up an issue that we should talk about later, I'm going to talk about the rear view imaging on Formula One cars, and maybe that's some place that the FAA ought to be looking in the future. Right, and um, I mean that cruelly would lead us to uh, uh, whose fault is it? And is it are we allowed? Can we morally do a whose fault is it for such a horrific accident? Well, I tell you what, had we been sitting here waiting for news of whether he was okay or not, and even if he was lying there, you know, in, you know, the movie pose with lots of casts and he's hanging up from stuff and beeping machines, we couldn't do. But seeing as he's fine, I'm going to go for it. Whose fault is it? Uh Uh-oh, Matt's looking at me with judgmental eyes. Do you not think we can do it? Well, I I was thinking we were going to be talking about Stroll and Kvyat later on in the show and it would be the same issue (laughs) it would be sure why not Mm, okay look let's do whose fault is it just for for this issue just to try and break down why the accident happened alex tell me why it should be anything other than roman grosjean 
saw the pack ahead of him slowing down. And believe me, I would not be having this conversation if he was more hurt. Uh, He saw the pack ahead of him slow down and saw a gap appear on the right-hand side and just misjudged where Kvyat was. First of all, when you talk about um, people in casts and stuff, he's posted a video on on his Instagram. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but his hands are up in the air, all bandaged up like this. Okay, okay, Um, But the one I had a very brief listen, and the words he uses, I am fine, Mm. which is... Yeah. Amazing to hear. Um, technically, if you forget everything else going on around, yeah. it's his fault because these come straight across straight across Fiat. Fiat had a fun day today. Came straight across Fiat. Um, but he's reacting to something else. So if he hadn't have reacted, he probably would have just piled into the back of the cars in front. Maybe, yeah. Done that before. Um, so him hitting Fiat, is his fault, but he was avoiding carnage in front, which arguably was caused by Stroll, which was arguably caused by Vettel, which was arguably caused by Leclerc, because Leclerc dove down the outside of Seb into turn one. Seb had to move over to give Leclerc room twice. He did that on the restart as well. <laughs> hit hit Stroll, punted Stroll off onto the runoff. Stroll kept it pinned, turned yeah. up in the middle of the pack and slowed everybody down which then caused the concertina, um, which initially was all caused anyway by Valtteri Bottas. Well, pick that apart, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I will do that by ignoring everything our brilliant driver analyst said, because it was basically true and make my own point, which is like, you know, I guess I'm kind of famous for that now and say that uh, Karun Chandok did a lovely breakdown on, on the sky pad. And he pointed out that the distance between Grosjean on the left of the track and Kvyat on the right of the track meant that even if, and let's grant him the benefit of the doubt, being a veteran driver, he checked his mirrors before he decided to do a thing, there was no way he would have known that Kvyat was there while he was making the maneuver that led to their contact. None at all, because there was a car's width space between them. And Fiat was, you know, what, rear wheel to halfway alongside behind him. And this is the classic highway thing where I want to move into the middle lane from one outside lane. The other person wants to move into the middle lane from the outside lane. And you look in your mirror, you put on your blinker, you make your move. And halfway there, you're like, oh, look, there's another car coming at me from a place that I totally never saw before. And this is what happened. And that's why I bring it up as a safety issue going Mm -hmm. forward. I'm not going to blame the FIA for what it is right now, but I do believe the technology might exist to reduce the number of times we see these kinds of impacts in the future. So then, so just in case anyone thinks we were being harsh bringing that up, maybe we were, uh, but it is part of the show. Um, The live chat room, of whom there are currently 870 people. Hi, guys. Jeez. Um, You... you all seem to agree with my initial analysis that it's Grosjean's fault. Um, Kyle Power is actually in there saying it's 120% uh, Roman Grosjean's fault. Um, people are not being as sympathetic as you, Alex, mostly going for the fact that he, he saw a gap and was just trying to send it. It was, when you look at it from the, 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 um, the bird's eye view, everything was coming back towards them. Mm-hmm. I think there was such a massive concertina effect. Um, I think I think partly he was thinking, right, well, stuff's coming towards me. I'm going to go for this gap over here. I don't think it was quite super reactionary 
dart to the right. It was stuff coming towards me. There's a gap. I'm going for it, which is why it was still Fiat's fault. Um, also, how did Fiat, how did um, not Fiat? Sorry, it was still Grosjean's fault. Yeah. How did Fiat's suspension survive the whole race? Which yeah. is mentioned by David okay. Whitehouse. I really, chat. really don't like your pronunciation of Fiat at all. That's uh, how you've that's, what, I'm Fiat. Pretty certain it's Fiat. Pronounced no, Fiat. I, I've been assured that it's Fiat. Fiat, yeah, whatever, and I'm sticking to that. Paella. Fine, I'll start calling it Fiat, then Fiat, Kafiat, then Fiat. Oh, and then sticking that, I'm sticking to Botas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the point I was going to make, um, which now you've put me off, That's I can't what remember I do. what that point was. Okay, two trumpets then, and and Alex, you sit and stew in your failure. Yeah, you'll think of it <laughs> right after we move on from this, and you'll want him to go back, and he won't. I won't. He won't, I promise. No, um, I, I actually I want to agree with you. I, effectively, I think that is is the correct analysis of it. I mean, you could say technically it's Grosjean's fault, but he never knew Kvyat was there. And if you look at the relative motion of him to Magnuson when he goes by, you can see the the differential that you were discussing. It's very clear how much how much they were slowing down in front of him, and you had the car off track that he knew. I think it was Raikkonen was going to occupy the space that he was driving into. So it was very much an avoiding mm. action. But I do want to take the moment to to read out Tom's comment in the chat, which is do we it. should thank both the late Professor Sid Watkins and Charlie Whiting for working so hard to make especially the Halo, what had a lot, which had a lot of, well, not the Halo. Sid Watkins came up with a lot of these safety procedures. Mm. Uh, but Charlie Whiting, especially for pushing for the Halo, because there was a lot of resistance when it first came on the scene. So I just wanted to add that to the discussion. So anytime there's new safety implementations from the Hans device uh, to uh, to the rearview mirrors that Matt is suggesting to the halo, there is always some resistance. There are always people saying, it's dangerous. That's just part of it. Since the dawn of time, man has tried to go fast. We watch this. These are gladiators. And you hear that argument all the time. It's It's not that for me. For me, it's a sport that unfortunately has an inherent risk. And the more we can reduce that risk, uh, the better. I, I, I'd i never want to see what I saw in 2014 or indeed what we saw today if it can be avoided. And I I will die on that hill. Van Jean. No, the, um, the point I was going to make before, which Matt, I think, has alluded to, was the technology for the mirrors does exist. I have it in my Skoda. <laughs> which is a little blinker, a little blinker that goes off when someone's in your blind spot, and you know it, all it is is a light inside the wing mirror that blinks when someone's in your blind spot, and drivers would notice that because they are so aware of their peripherals. Which Alex, actually Alex, isn't a bad idea to interrupt. Alex, into, in... you don't have a Skoda. I do. Don't be so hard on yourself. Um, Jules, um, do you think it's going too far? F2. <laughs> Jules, <laughs> do, do you think Matt's idea is, is, is going too far? Um, the little shaky wing mirrors on the side, surely we'd get a better racing if they had better all-around vision. Yeah, sure. I, I, I was thinking this accident, we would all be happy to to blame Grosjean again if it, if, if it didn't have this, this, this uh, disastrous uh, results. Mm. But... Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's a fair point Matt made, and the rear view of some of the car, these cars sometimes drivers complain about them even you know like they can't see uh, it's too small or it's blocked by the halo or some other aerodynamic uh, piece on the car. I think there's a real uh, pretty big world to be won there, and uh, if we're all this big up uh, about safety, that should be a, a point of attention. 
Now, uh, Jules Sagers, uh, you are um, you are now a journalism lecturer, but you've reported on Formula One uh, in the past. Are you like yeah. us? Do you end up watching every single practice session, you know, Friday through to Saturday? Uh, most of the times I use uh, the practice sessions in, as background entertainment. <laughs> yes. And then uh, apart from like tracks, you really look forward to like Suzuka or Spa. And uh, obviously the first race of the year, uh, you want to see the, the, the cars for the first time. But yeah, I really, really enjoy just having it on and, and following the action. Sure. Yeah, I use it as a chance to kind of learn the tracks. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I would like to roll back now and have a little look at the pre-race and the qualifying before we find out where the race uh, was won and lost. Of course, uh, the second red red flag of qualifying uh, caused by a dog, Jules. Yeah, <laughs> the dog. I, uh, I I always find I always find it funny this 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 slick world of Formula One where everything is perfect and shiny and 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 then all of a sudden this this like asset uh, this this prop comes into into uh, into the television uh, screens and like lizards or or uh, uh, groundhogs or in this this uh, this time a dog which you wouldn't expect in the middle of the desert of course. I, I like those type of things. And uh, the thing I liked most about it was actually Seb Fettel's uh, <laughs> uh, team radio. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you, you notice he's back, you know, uh, like the funny Seb back and he started seeing for people who, who haven't uh, seen it or heard it, he started seeing like, who let the dogs out? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. My main concern out of that was Daniel Ricciardo uh, could not identify between a dog and a cat on there. So there's a cat or a dog, which means uh, I'm leaving him out of my cat or dog pub quiz uh, team, Matt. I'm, I, I, I would not invite him to be part of the Missed Apex pub team based on that alone. But why were they all wasting one of these uh, tyre sessions on prototype tyres? These are the 2021 proposed tyres and... Just like every other year, they've gone, oh my goodness, these tyres are slightly different. We don't want them. So presumably there will be a veto and we shall have wholly inappropriate tyres for next season. Hooray. Well, I don't think that's going to happen because it's it's more, I think at this point, a fait accompli, if I've said that correctly. And the, uh, the likelihood that I've said it correctly is probably low since I never studied Latin. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, in no way, shape, or form, can you just hold on to the tires from, what, two years ago and expect them to deal with the ever-increasing downforce levels? I mean, they've changed the aerodynamics to reduce the downforce, to reduce the pressure on the tires, and they've already decided that their initial decision to reduce the downforce is going to be insufficient for these tires. Now, what's interesting about them, to me, is that they have Two things. One, they have a different profile, which will affect the aerodynamics at the front. Mm. And two, and I think much more happily for the drivers, the the whole point of these tires is to be able to run them at lower pressures, which should give them a little more flexibility in terms of getting them into that window where they are most grippy and keeping them there. This uh, segment of Tire Talk is brought to you by Matt Trumpets. We apologize for any distress this may have caused. Um, but Alex, uh, Albon did not start the weekend on a bright note. We know it ended happily. We'll we'll get to that. But these kind of pre-race practice slash qualifying incidents, they they mount up. And, and this one, this one seemed born of frustration and avoidable because um, Leclerc had a very similar 
incident and avoided the crash because he didn't just keep his right foot pinned mm. to the ground. Yeah. Um, listen, I can't imagine how difficult it must be being Max Verstappen's teammate. You know, he is constantly battling with at least one Mercedes and troubling the other one. And you're struggling to get within six tenths. That's big in your own car, especially when you're as highly regarded driver as Alex Albon was at the beginning of this season. Yeah. Um, I've kind of given up giving excuses for Alex um, and it's not good enough. It really, really isn't. However, somehow, miraculously, it looks like he might keep that drive. Okay, more, it, more, more on that later. it doesn't... Nah, okay. Not right. yet, not yet, not yet. I'm not ready. I need to be... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he... It looked like a frustrating crash. Yeah. He's gone off. He's gone off a lot in practice lately. He spent a lot of time testing mm. track limits and he got off the track, thought, oh, it's all right, I'll just keep it pinned and has gone round and mm. done a lot of damage, which has resulted in a, in a chassis change. So to, to be clear, lots of drivers make mistakes during practice sessions and it happens and they come on the radio hands up sorry guys my fault can't believe it what i've just dropped it no you know no brainer my fault sorry everyone and they go no problem alex we'll have that fixed for you all drivers do that but it's happened like a fair it's happened a fair bit now how how hollow must that sorry start to come across if you're a red bull engineer well We've we've all got partners, and we've all had to apologise for various different things over and over and over again. And you can see the light dying behind the eyes of the person you're apologising to. And it's the same thing, especially when it's costing millions and millions of pounds, and your teammates not crashing, and your teammates fighting for podiums every single race. No, I'm not saying that everyone should go buy stock in uh, Reynolds aluminum before I make this next comment. However, here we go. Did you say chassis change? I did. Did I hear wrong? That is one of the classic driver requests when they just are not driving the car well. I think there's a problem with the chassis. And if I'm Red Bull, I'm like, where are we in the season? I don't think so. And if I'm Alex, I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm on the dust. Oopsie. I'm sorry. Oh, (laughs) do I get my new chassis now? Thank you so much. For this particular one, I took it as damage. Sorry. For this particular one, I took it as they needed to change it because of because of damage, and Alex probably pushed for it. But I understand. I don't think Alex would have crashed on purpose though to try and warrant a chassis change. If I'm being honest, I don't think he did either. But it just seemed like a good point to make for the show. Fair enough, guys. Fair enough. Uh, I tell you what, Matt. That signs incident just reminded me how much I hate brake by wire, and I, I, I hate the fact that occasionally the the car will uh, just lock up at the rear presumably due to a break by wire incident and and for me I, I wonder how much that takes away from the overall braking skill or overcomplicates the braking skill when we saw signs just at the end of that long straight he's obviously he's he's hit the brakes completely normally but the engine's locked up and you could see that the rear tires aren't moving the front tires are still rolling the only explanation for that is engine power rate you know out power unit related and uh, i don't know and it just makes it all feel a bit not very drivery it doesn't make it feel like the driver's very connected i understand what you are saying and the reality is um in all likelihood as a break by wire fire failure that's almost certainly either a mechanical failure or a software failure 
the sensors threw up something that the software couldn't interpret. And so it said, oh, that means stop now. And then suddenly you've got the equivalent of a handbrake turn. Uh, But the reality is, and I'm drawing a little bit on my Formula E experience here, the reality is that they've made a great deal of progress uh, with regards to giving the feel of a a totally mechanical brake pedal to the car. So I don't think it's subtracting from the driver's skill in the way that you're intimating there. Or asking. I was asking. uh, But I think that it does provide sort of this this random thing that can go wrong. I mean, I'm sure everybody uh, famously remembers the robocar that crashed. Yeah. It was on Twitter. It was very exciting. And and I saw a software engineer talking about that and and essentially said, here's what happened. It simply threw up something that the sensor threw up something that wasn't a number that had never happened before. And as a result, the steering just turned that direction from the moment we let it go, and it drove straight into a wall. And I think occasionally you get that same kind of a thing mm-hmm. with the software because they are constantly trying to manipulate it to give them better results. And uh, the last thing we want to say on qualifying is Lance Stroll was knocked out in Q2. But oh, Sorry, hang on a minute. I'm struggling to read the notes that have just been handed <sighs> to me. Um, it was not Lance Stroll's fault. There was a miscommunication, uh, but we can't tell you what it is. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Tires, something, something, something. Statement ends. Um, It is never, ever Lance Stroll's fault. And now, you you see what I did? And now we go to, wait till you hear what score I gave him for his race. Um. Now we go to Matt Trumpets <laughs> and we ask Matt Trumpets where the race was won and lost. Well, there's no place to start other than the start. This time around, what was most crucial about it, um, aside from the crash of Grosjean, which immediately brought things to a halt, was the first 60 meters. And in that first 60 meters, we saw Botas have a very poor start. Had a man. In fact, he was... Rolling into the pits, he was P6. Um, And we saw Ricardo have a great start. I believe he was up to P5, for example. But once they were in the pits, they didn't go back to the original grid order for the restart. No, they looked at where the cars were when they crossed safety car line two. And that promoted, that actually changed a fair number of people and made a difference. But sadly, not for Botas. No. Now then, uh, Jules, really interesting uh, battle at the beginning. I, the, I'm most critical of Perez on his start. Again, Verstappen really, really bad off the line. But when it came to claiming the apex from Perez, he was just like, mate, nah. No, down. Bad, Sergio. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not been uh, Max's uh, strongest points this season, his, his starts. And uh, Perez uh, looked like he had the better getaway even and uh, was going to take uh, second position. But um, it's a funny first turn, the one in Bahrain, and uh, multiple lines uh, can uh, can lead to uh, coming out on top. And, uh, well, I think that that is one of Max's strong points this season is like just positioning himself and uh, and getting uh, uh, the best uh, the best outlook yeah. in that first lap. But, uh, Jules, just staying with you for a second, that that has been um, it's particularly a lap one hallmark of Max Verstappen, which is if yeah. he's on the inside, he is he is going to robustly 
go to the outside. I think Perez did exactly the right thing, which was just allow that to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, he's forged such a, an on-track presence and charisma that he, he really is bossing you know, that kind of particular race incident. Yeah. Um, I think he's, he's uh, on the one side, he has matured a bit in, in that aspect. And instead of making it look reckless or yeah. more K-Mag-esque, he's, he's just, he's, well, he's uh, establishing himself. And that, that immediately makes the, the, his opponents think like, okay, yeah. this is Max territory. I'll back off. This race uh, takes longer than this, just this lap. <laughs> yes. He has made it very clear from the moment he was in Red Bull that if you even bother to try a thing like that, he will just drive straight into you and shed no <laughs> tears. And I think all the other drivers know that and deal with him accordingly. I, I mean, it works, Vangine, doesn't it? I mean, you've got a certain on-track presence. I certainly behave differently on a go-kart track if I know you're around me. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, Lewis has stated this before, which is if he knows he's got Max in his mirrors, he knows to leave a little bit more room and things like that. And you do behave differently knowing the people you're racing against. Um, you know, and I can very much imagine if you have a, a Fiat, a Grosjean, a Stroll, um, having a lunge up the inside, you're going to go and, and move very far away over to the left. And in some cases, it works really well. So for someone like Max, it works well because he's fast enough mm. and he's good enough and he has that quality. Um, it's when it falls back to some of the guys in the midfield who maybe aren't quite as talented um, that it becomes a little bit messy. But um, Senna used to do the same thing, which is a yeah. case of you give me the room or I'm going over the top of you, um, which happened yeah. more than one occasion. And Senna, he could pull that off because he was Senna in a lot of ways, and it's about knowing your position and skill level within the sport. So Max Verstappen certainly knows that he he knows he's Max Verstappen when it comes on track. And I think in that case, Sergio Perez also knew he was Max Verstappen. But then when Bottas was was coming up behind him, Perez held the line very well and and, and had a pretty robust defence. And um, what did you think, Jules, of that ding-dong between, you know, Bottas and Albon? Because Bottas, not normally that robust but showed Albon, like, no, I'm the boss here, mate. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly the thing we're talking about here. Like, um, the the way these drivers establish themselves and, and look uh, at each other, like, am I, am I going to let you by? Am I going to make it easy for you? Or do I think I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, more on top of the of, as we say in Holland, the, the monkey mountain? No, and, uh, that's not a phrase. That's not a Dutch phrase. <laughs> it, it is but um well let's not get into that but you know it's it's, it's if you feel i obviously bottas will feel like oh alex album in my in my mirrors i'm gonna i'm not gonna get let this guy pass but we all know how bottas bottas acts mm-hmm. when uh, when it really matters when it really comes down to uh to fighting the big guys yeah. so yeah it's um i think there's this whole dynamic between f1 driver <laughs> Yeah, and we saw it, of course, with um, Albon really came out when he was, uh, well, I was going to say moaning, and I'll stick with that, was moaning about the Alpha Tauri drivers fighting him. Oh, they fight me so hard. There is clearly a monkey mountain in Formula One, and Albon <laughs> felt that he was higher up the mountain. My favorite words ever. 
Albon felt he was higher up the mount, uh, monkey mountain than the Alpha Tauri uh, drivers. Um, the one thing I want to, because I've derailed Matt's one and lost segment here, the one other thing I wanted to say about the start, which was fabulously entertaining and chaotic and fighty, uh, was that battle between Ocon and Leclerc, Matt. I think both drivers were fabulously impressive in that early scrap. Yes, well, um, once you overlook Leclerc getting by Vettel, oh, which yes. is an issue, which is an issue for any other business. Yeah. Then yes, indeed, it was delightful as Leclerc had a proper go at your favorite driver, Ocon. Certainly your favorite Ocon. driver, yes. okay, Ocon maybe. Fossi. Maybe I messed that up. I don't know. Esther Fossi. Um, and it was a delightful. It was the kind of battle that we want to see in Formula One. Back and forth, several corners appropriate respect given and at the end of the day Ocon on top which okay that might just be me <laughs> I mean to be fair there was so much fighting going on today and so many great overtakes I have kind of, it has all kind of merged together as one yep. big um, mess of overtakes but Bar Stroll and Kafiat, um everything else was brilliant overtaking wise and wheel-to-wheel racing wise there was no real contact everyone left each other enough room everyone did absolutely fabulous racing today it was an absolute perfect display and what i expected from f1 what I expected is, from bahrain which is why nothing at all got replaced when everyone rolled into the pit lane after grosjean's crash <laughs> yeah the first start was a bit there but yeah anyway listen when it came to the starts are, are a different entity and we know this but as far as the one-on-one battles that happened throughout the race today the standard was was up there with the very best we've seen and, and i think the the track the track as well i think it often gets overlooked because people go oh it's a bit soulless it's a tilkadrome there's not many spectators there but this track has been delivering us good races and it really has been delivering us good races all throughout the pirelli era you know it's it's a modern track designed for modern cars it's got braking zones and it's got switchbacks mm. you you can't not have overtaking when you have those two elements and you've got corners that follow corners so you can set somebody up and make a move you've got big braking points which obviously means you can outbreak people um and you've got three drs zones here but the good thing about the drs zones here they didn't make any pass super duper easy there might be one or two, but that's more a case mm. of tire tire differential. But there was no super easy DRS passes, which is the perfect sweet spot, which they seem to have right here. And why they can't get that everywhere else drives me nuts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, uh, Matt, we're talking won and lost, but this, um, this isn't dissimilar to the races in the late 90s and the early 2000s, where very often, before we were covering it in any sort of way, I would sit down excitedly for the start and I would watch it intently. It would all kick off like it's been kicking off here. And then I would, I would like gently go more and more horizontal, have a nap, which would inevitably be half an hour to 45 minutes. And I would wake up as the strategy had all shaken out and watch the last bit of the race. Um, so it's not, it's not like bizarre to have a race that settles down after an exciting start. But we had two exciting starts here and the the second sort of phase of the race was wrecked by an incident between Lance Stroll and Daniel Kvyat and I'm guessing that's the second part of where the race was won and lost. You're absolutely right Mm. the only thing I want to mention just because I will use it to make points later is that given the opportunity yeah only Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly elected to change tires when they came in Mm. for the first incident. And I'll Roger. I'll leave it there for the okay. moment. So I'm going to uh, press this button, though. Oh, <laughs> we it. get to play the game again, because there was another race car crashy, crashy bit, and that's uh, often the focus of excitement and debate. And I, I don't think this one is going to be as straightforward. So I'm going to take a quick poll of my panel, literally one word, Kvyat versus Stroll. Whose fault is it, Jules? You're on mute. I think he did that on purpose. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, I said, uh, it's it's uh, Kviat's fault. Kviat's fault. Interesting. Okay, Van Jean? Roll. Uh, Matt? Uh... Great audio. Stroll. And I'm going to go for Stroll as well. So we have three votes for Stroll, one for Kviat. Let's hear the case for Kviat then, Jules. Well, as much as... Uh... I'll be honest, um, I like to uh, have a go at Stroll. And he. Uh, my first impression was like, this is Portimao revisited, like just turning in, like no one's going to be there. But I think if you watch the replays, you see Kviat isn't really alongside him. Uh, and he should have known, this is not my spot. This is not a gap. I'm going to hit the brakes back off. Okay, look, that's an interesting take. Um, let's go with uh, trumpets. Where where do you see it? Well, uh, I basically agree with Jules. It's uh, Kvyat had a right to be there. Stroll turned in and hit him. I mean, Stroll drove into his lane. But the reason I'm gonna I'm gonna read it as Stroll's fault is because he's at he's by now an experienced enough driver, and unlike Grosjean at the start, he should have been pretty aware or should have been at least trying to ascertain where Kvyat was relative to him. And okay. I don't think he did that. And, you know, maybe you could blame the team saying, oh, you know, uh, Kvyat was, was enough alongside to be considered alongside. And as a result, you know, you just have, you know, it was a straight and then there was a turn 
you know, you got to pay attention to where the people behind you are once you yeah. get through. Oh, I mean, I guess it was lap one again, though, wasn't it? it so, so maybe yeah. it really is kind of a start incident, and I, I'm, 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 I'm hemming and hawing a little bit. But by time you get to turn eight or nine, well, no, I'm not going to do that either because of eye racing, which we've agreed not to mention. But you get my point. <laughs> yes, let's pretend we do. Uh, right, so, uh, Alex, there's a bit of a myth I think that has cropped up when discussing these incidents that in the braking zone to have any right to a corner, you must already be alongside. However, you can legitimately, there are lots of legitimate situations in which you can outbreak someone and that will bring you alongside, or you can have a different line and that will bring you alongside. I'm struggling to, to get away from an argument I made at the time. Was it, was it Portimao, wasn't it, where Stroll turned into Verstappen in practice? And then, was it Albon? Who did he turn into? Who? Norris. Norris. He turned into Norris during the race. You, if you turn into a space where a car exists, you're going to hit that car. And and by the time Stroll is turning into into that corner and going straight for the apex on lap one, a car exists. I mean, if I, if I remember the incident correctly, Stroll is going slowly, so there is a delta. Kvyat is catching up. Uh, maybe yes, he's not quite alongside as they hit the brakes, but as they're going into the apex, Kvyat is definitely there, and Stroll just continues going to the apex. Alex, I'm, I'm struggling to get away from Stroll turned into a space where a car was. Right. So this links to a super chat we had for $4.99 from oh, Eric Davis, you. which is, which is it? You get to keep the racing line or you have to leave a car's width. This ends up being an argument in, in every whose fault is this. Yeah. When it comes to being in a corner during an incident, the racing line means nothing. Mm-hmm. Racing line only matters when you're Agreed. there on your own doing the racing line. I agree. Because it's it's the, it's the line you take. So once you have somebody alongside you or you're in some form of a melee, um, the racing line is is irrelevant. Um, the 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 fact of what happened in this incident was um, Fiat Fiat, however you want to say it, Kvyat. had a significant part of his car alongside Stroll. Now whether you agree with this or not, I am under the impression the rules state the front wing constitutes a substantial proportion a of the car and he had significant sorry yeah. a portion of the car and I, I, my my view of it is his front wheel was in line with stroll's rear wheel therefore fiat is entitled to space mm. and again lance bless him hasn't seen there's a car there he probably needs the blinkers that i've got on my skoda and has just turned straight across um Jules. Let's get Jules to come back at this because he's he's the only stroll apologist in this situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with Alex that uh Kviat's front wheel was um uh, in uh, around uh, Stroll's uh, back wheel, but was he ever gonna make that pass? Was he ever gonna uh, get that uh, make that turn? And I don't I don't think so. And so that's that's why I think he should have backed off. The point of it is that, 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 that I understand your point, but it's irrelevant. Um, however, when Fiat Kafia hit Stroll, he was on the curb, still making the corner. Yeah, he, he wasn't was understeering. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't locked up. If he was locked up and understeered and hit Stroll, that's his fault. He wasn't. He was making a nice little cur- turn around that apex because I watched it. The first time I saw it, I thought it was Danny's fault. Um, I'm going to revert to Danny rather than Fiat, Fiat, because I keep getting it wrong. Mr. Um, Fiat. And um, 
but he didn't. He stayed in a complete arc around that apex, and Stroll just came across. Okay, yeah. So, look, Matt, go on, Matt. You go, you go, you go. Well, this brings up my, my favorite issue is what we're really arguing about is did Stroll know Kvyat was there? Mm. If he didn't, it's kind of hard to blame him. And if he did, it's completely possible to blame him. And that goes back to my point about let's start thinking about how F1 drivers are informed of who's around them because we do have that type, like the $6 million man, we've got that technology now. Van Jean. If If you watch the build-up to that corner... Danny is constantly hovering around that kind of spot. Unless you aren't looking in your mirrors at all, you know there is somebody there. Because if they are there and then are not there, then where else can they possibly be? Which is up your inside. Okay, so I will say the same thing that I said about the incidents with Albon and Hamilton. Although I really disagree with the way the stewards are judging these things, which they seem to punish any car that is on the inside. Um, you know, I still maintain that in that Brazil incident, uh, Albon comes from a long way out. Hamilton's taking, he's a different line. He's going faster. Albon's been slowed up and he comes and cuts across as if Hamilton isn't there. Okay, so the stewards are giving those incidents against the car on the inside. If you're Albon's friend, if you're Lance Stroll's friend, you're going to say to him, dude, it's lap one. Or dude, it's the last lap and you're on the podium You've got to leave room for a car on the outside. You're, you're, if you just leave a car's width for Kvyat there, he's in control, you're going to drive all the way around him and you're going to get through the race. Whereas now we've had Portimao practice, we've had um, Portimao during the race with Norris, and now we've had this where you've cost yourself and the team points completely unnecessarily. Also, with the layout of this circuit going into that particular corner, the next corner is a downhill, difficult left-hand corner. Yeah. If you've got a driver on the outside of you, which Fiat would have been, um, you've got the room to to get back in front. So he didn't need to come across. He didn't oh. know he was there. Oh, hang on. Sorry, aware. sorry, Alex. Sorry to interrupt. We've just had another. Uh, we've had another telegram come through. No, um, Daniel Kvyat was reckless uh, down the inside. Poor Lance was just going about his business, trying to just do everything right and everyone should leave him alone. Uh, and therefore, Daniel Kvyat uh, was wrong and Lance did nothing wrong. Apologise for my earlier statements on that. And I would like to say that I have given Lance Stroll a 9.2 out of 10 for this race. And you wonder why we don't get talked about in the Red Bull garage in there uh, when, they're, uh, when they're listening to different podcasts. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Matt, so that takes us back to where the race was won and lost. And we're only on, uh, well, lap two officially. And then this took us all the way to lap eight. I know there's not really a good solution for the winch I'm about to have. But why did we lose eight laps of a Grand Prix? At most, there's one Grand Prix a week. It's the only time of the week that my family uh, allow me space and time. It's the only time of the week where they let me yell at the telly without getting yelled at back. And uh, and, and they accept that, that daddy needs to be supplied with popcorn and or the occasional whiskey. Eight laps of that lost to the safety car. I, I'd almost rather have a red flag so that I can go away, make a cup of tea and come back. I know there's no solution to what I'm saying. I'm just, I was just gutted to lose eight laps of F1. Well, if you have the F1 app, they, they do put up a nice one lap warning telling you the safety car is coming in under most circumstances. Uh, but I think it was just generally that's how long it took to get uh, everything cleared uh, from the track 
and for the debris to be cleared up and for everything to be reset in order to make it safe for the race to restart. <laughs> Reasons. Yeah, Fine. I know. But what was tragic about it is we went from a race that we were pretty convinced would be a two-stop for everyone to a race that now, with these extra safety car laps, might be, let's call it a virtual one-stop. Yeah, let's not include the red flag as a stop. Count that side for the rest of the conversation. They started... Uh, so when they're at the safety car, everyone has zero stops. Correct. Yeah, and, and that being the case, now with effectively nine laps gone from a 57-lap race, now you're looking at, well... You know, if you were smart enough to switch off your original tires at the red flag, well, now you can just pick another set of tires and maybe one stop and get all the way to the end. And only, I don't know if Vettel did it, but I know Gasly did it. And it worked out very, very well for him. None of the other front runners even bothered to try. Yeah, it it seemed like it was a reasonably high attrition track. Um, And I think from a strategy point of view, you made a comment uh, privately in our WhatsApp chat that the affected me and my son's viewing of, of the race because we were looking at the battles really could Max Verstappen make any kind of inroad into Lewis Hamilton for the rest of the race even though they were on full send no not really it looked like Hamilton was in full control Bottas is obviously out of it with that early puncher the most interesting dynamic in that race was really Albon versus Perez and now we were looking at that expecting uh, Albon to be easily able to claw Perez in because he was on the medium and Perez was on the hard and it wasn't happening and we were sat there and we were literally going right what could be the explanation for why Albon isn't catching Perez and and you suggested that actually the hard was faster and that's annoying because I don't understand how that could be well the hard isn't quote-unquote faster but it lasts enough longer faster that it's faster. Did that do it? Nope. Okay, good. I'll try again. Basically, on a per lap basis, the medium will be quicker for a certain amount, but only for a certain amount. And then at that point, it will start to get slower and slower and slower. The hard will last longer. So it starts out being a little bit slower, but is easier to manage and goes farther. So you'll actually have gone farther in less time than you will on a medium tire. The medium tires seemed like after about 13 laps, 14 laps, they were done. I mean, I Mm. know we had signs go 18 laps, but eight of those were under the safety car. Yeah. Um, And and really what, what you saw was that there wasn't a substantial difference in tire life between the soft tire and the medium tire before they started to go off. And only the hard tire would go longer at a decent pace. And that's why everybody wound up on it unless they knew they didn't have that far to go. And what did you think of the tactic of only changing three tyres at the pit stop, which our friend Othnell has suggested happened to Bottas? Did anyone else catch that? Like yeah. yeah is, that, is that confirmed? Did that happen? Bottas only changed... It absolutely 100% wow. happened. I put a streamable in our WhatsApp chat oh if you want goodness. to go look at it. Yeah, they told him that's what they were going to do. Okay, so this was a thing of dubious legality at best. But as near as I can suss it out, what they essentially said was that one of the tires, those tires they put back on were used at the start of the race. Mm. And one of them was damaged. So essentially they used the the classic park from a Dodge of we substituted like for like. 
What I don't know is, did they bother to tell the FIA before they did it? But what you see is Botas pull in mm -hmm. to his pit box. You see the, uh, the left front tire go on. Presumably the rear two tires go on, mediums. And the front jack guy unscrews the front tire on the right and then just screws it right back in. And then off he drives. Is this and this was which stop was this? Was this in the main part of the race, not the red flag? I think that was his. I think it was one of his later stops. Yeah. Oh my! That sounds proper dodgy. That sounds yeah. proper dodgy. Doesn't it though? Yeah. Doesn't it though? Although I, I think you know, in general with discussion, I think the reason they had to take it off and put it back on is because of the way the lights mm. on the pit box are wired to the guns. Oh. Maybe maybe there's a logic chip that if the wheel doesn't come off, the green light doesn't go on, and then he doesn't go. I don't know. It, it remains to be investigated because, as you may have noticed, the race ended like 22 minutes before our show started. Tobias says, it's totally legal. Check the rules. No, Tobias, you check the rules and then tell us, please. You know we struggled to read. All right, cool. So, for the rest of how the race was won and lost, is it fair, and object now, is it fair to kind of take away Lewis Hamilton from from this argument because it feels like he for all his protests oh that was really tough man that was really tough like it was touch and go I just I don't no dude no it was not touch and go you were totally in control you're quite good at this your car's really good and your teammate had a punch it's fine to just go yeah that was an easy day in the office ish the hard bit was getting in the car after the Roman Grosjean accident so I will give him that at least um Matt do you think there was a an actual battle between Hamilton and Verstappen. It, there might have been if Verstappen had chosen to try and save his tires and go long, maybe, and Hamilton had had to pit again because that would have been a 20-plus second delta Max could have given him. So mm. Pirelli, on the other hand, said that the tires, even the hard tires, were only going to be in the 20s in terms of their range. So that decision was being made when that tire would have had to go almost 35 laps, though. Okay. So you're really betting a lot. And much like Gasly, you know, we saw him lose out to Signs at the end. And we saw that he was absolutely, I feel, going to lose out to Ricardo as well before the very last um, safety car came out and just basically ended the race three laps early. Oh, no. So, Matt, the answer to that question is no. There was, there was not a battle, really, up at the front. So the main battle was between uh, Perez and Alex Albon. And uh, Jules, uh, I mean, yes, Alex Albon, he finished on the podium. I've got yelled at a lot for being super critical of, of Alex Albon. Uh, but we can't get away from the fact that he didn't look like he was going to catch Perez. Yeah. Uh... Basically, um, I don't want to slag off Albon. Can, could you do it for me? I think is how that came across. Thing, thing is with, with Albon, he, today he was in the right place at the, at the right time. And he, he, uh, he did what Red Bull want him to do. And with, even if without the safety car, he would have been miles behind Verstappen and that like mm. Gasly type of miles behind Verstappen. Um, he would have done what they want him to do. Also because Bottas had a, had a poor race, etc. But still, thing is, um, if they keep him on, they, he will always be looked at with uh, a certain, certain eyes and he will always be scrutinized. And every time he crashes a car or, uh, or goes off or complains on the radio that people race him too hard, 
he, he's never going to be a real Red Bull number two driver. And we shouldn't, uh, uh, and let me say this, we shouldn't be surprised in the end because he was without an F2 drive. He was loaded off to Formula E, suddenly ended up in Formula One, but he was never Formula One material. Ooh, that is, that is the strongest words I have to say that we have had um, on Albert. And it's your opinion. Stick to it. That, that, that is fine. It is a good reminder that that is the situation and how it came about. Um, Hansink in the live chat, Matt, says he was definitely going to catch Perez. I'm not seeing that. The, the, the gap was increasing, increasing, increasing. It's, uh, after a pit stop, I think the album got a slight undercut, uh, which brought it down to about under three seconds. Yeah. And then it was back out to six by the time Perez puffed out. Yeah, so what I saw was that whenever I looked at lap times, and I know that your boy likes to look at the lap times and <laughs> I rely on it inform now. you what's actually happening in the race instead of yeah. what you see on the television. And I'm I'm happy that he does that because that's a good way to learn how to watch racing. Uh, but whenever I looked at the lap times, Albon was always a tenth or two slower than Perez. And you multiply that by enough laps, and you're going to be seconds and seconds and seconds behind. And whenever I looked at Verstappen's time compared to Albon's, he was always about six tenths off, which is interestingly about his margin in qualifying as well. Now, what I will say is that, yes, he absolutely deserved that podium because he was in fourth yeah. place yeah, when the yeah. third place car crapped out. Yeah. And that means that he did everything he could control. And then the rest was up to things that happened beyond your control. And he didn't he didn't drive off the track. He didn't hit a bridge. He didn't spin nine times. He didn't get 17 punctures, floor damage, and, you know, a small animal wedged in his barge board. He just drove the car, was where he was. And then when the thing happened to Perez, which is an MGUK failure, and the final place where the race was won and lost, as we all know, or would have guessed at this point, he was there to inherit the glory that was due to him for simply doing his job. But the issue is, in that Red Bull, he shouldn't have been just hanging around waiting for a racing point to fail when his teammate is up there putting pressure on the best car on the grid. Mm -hmm. He should have been able to... If Max was in that position, he would have cruised up to the back of Perez and we would have had a fight. Uh, Matt, incorrect counterpoint, please. Uh, yeah, that would be incorrect because you were granting that Albon should have the same performance as Verstappen in a car that was designed entirely around Verstappen's need and that Max himself can barely drive more than half the time. I mean, let's not forget, this was the first podium Verstappen has had in mm. three straight races. It's not like it's an easy car to drive. Okay, Matt, sorry, I'm going to have to stop you there. You're making far too many reasonable points in the defense of, of Alex Albon. No, but that, that all tracks. Um, that makes that makes sense. And I, I, honestly, I think we've covered the spectrum of uh, the, the curious case of Alex Albon. But the big question mark remains, who will be in that seat, Alex Albon or Sergio Perez? And wasn't that final battle just like you couldn't have written a better script with Sergio Perez having a press conference booked for 8.30 tomorrow evening? Um, I wonder if that's Bahrain time. I think it might be Bahrain time, uh, which would make it earlier here. So it would make it in the afternoon in the UK. Uh, There's not a better script than Albon was chasing Perez for that seat. And I think... It was an even better analogy, Alex, that Perez, through no fault of his own, 
ended up having a failure and and conking out and Albon goes and takes that podium because I, as a Perez fan, who was informed that the deal was all but done, just needed the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. And I know that they'd gone as far as due diligence. And, and I know, know this, that the, you know, Perez's finances had been investigated by Red Bull. I think I know, know this. I'm overstretching. It's at least third hand. I have a very good feeling that due diligence was done. So the contract talks were real. They were happening. But I'm losing faith that it's happening. Uh, I'm losing faith that Perez is going to be in F1 next season. I feel like they're going to stay with Albon. And that race, just it was just like a visualisation of that whole debate of who should have the seat. I think it's going to Albon. Yeah, the words of Christian Horner after the race sounded very much like we're sticking with Albon. Um, I can't remember what he actually said, but I just remember thinking his body language and the way he was talking throughout that entire interview with the Sky crew was very much a case of we're going to stick with Albon. Um, I've I've always thought the Perez going to um, Red Bull thing was a bit yeah, odd. It never sat. Um, however, much I, however much I'd like to see him there because I think he'd do a really good job and be the super consistent driver that we know he is. The face doesn't mm. seem to fit. Mm. He's, he's not a Red Bull driver. Yeah. You, um, yeah. And if he was ever going to be a Red Bull driver, he'd have been that already. Um, I don't see them taking on a 30-year-old driver. You can't have, as Red Bull, you can't have Verstappen there. And then in the in the wings, you've got Alex Albon. You've got uh, Gasly. You've got Kvyat all sat there. And you've got Sonoda. I think I'm saying that name right. Sonoda. Uh, lined up as well, coming through F2. Uh, by the way, looking every bit like the Red Bull driver in exactly the kind of mould they like Red Bull drivers to be. You can't have all those guys and then bring in a, a 30-year-old Sergio Perez from outside your programme without some serious questions, Jules. And and I'm just... if Had they announced it about four or five races ago, I, I, I'd, have been, I'd have been delighted, obviously. But the longer it goes on, the longer you feel that like they were just looking for an excuse to announce Alex Albon and a podium might just be that. Yeah. And I think if they do, and I, I agree, I also feel they, they are working towards that. They need to be fair to him and give him a car that is also more suitable to the way he drives. I understand they build a car to Max's preferences, but... It seems Albon has a problem working around problems the car uh, makes him uh, face. And um, it's like everything needs to fall in place and then he has, his, he, he has his days. But he needs to learn to work around the car's problems. And Red Bull needs to be fair to him and, and deliver him a car that's more suitable to his abilities. Oh, so a uh, great reminder from Maxime uh, in the chat room. You're forgetting about the Thai finances uh, no we're not we, we've had this conversation today matt and i it's not so much that Albon like brings particular money it's that red bull is more tied in with thai ownership and thai finances than perhaps is immediately obvious i i think and so uh, alex Albon driving under a thai license in fact van jean alex Albon driving under a thai license does increase his chances of, of getting that seat yeah it does but um, there's a lot of people talking in the chat room with regards to quality difference between would Perez do a better job than Albon and I think I think Perez would do a better job currently than Albon um, because Albon has been so up and down 
with where he's been across the season. You can't say he has consistently been in this particular place because he hasn't been. He's been all over the shop. At least with Perez, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get solid consistency, someone who can be there to pick up the points. And most importantly for Red Bull, sit in the pit stop window of a Mercedes, which Albon isn't doing at the moment. And I thoroughly believe that Perez would do that job if just to aid Max Verstappen. Matt, I find it impossible to believe that Perez, who has scored points in the last 85 races, wouldn't do a better job than Alex Albon. I, I just, I, I find it so hard to believe that the second Red Bull is just inherently impossible to drive. No, I don't think it's inherently impossible to drive. I think, I think Red Bull seems to be a much more challenging car to drive than, let's say, oh, I don't know, a Mercedes, for example. Uh, but what I do love is that Alex is making, and here I mean Van Gene is making the lovely point that I often like to make is that the single most overrated quality in Formula One is experience. And I'm just going to point out that there is a driver leaving the grid this year who finished second in his first race as a rookie for Mm. McLaren. And no one has said yet a word about him. And I just like, I'm just going to say experience might be worth your consideration. Haas destroyed the reputations of both Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean, and that's why they're both now leaving the sport, and we will cover that in our season review. But you mentioned McLaren. We cannot leave uh, without talking about a fantastic day out for Papaya. Uh, You're nodding your head, Jules. Good result. Good day for the boys in orange. Yeah, terrific day for them. Of course, they locked in with uh, Perez uh, not uh, finishing the race, but they started the day like six points behind racing point in the constructor standings and now they are 70 points adrift of them with just two races to go mm. and in third spot um i'm really uh yeah i'm, I'm actually happy for them i mean that this is a, a team that has been dropped they dropped back to the back of the grid in the in the seasons before uh, uh, last year and yeah it's it's good to see them back <laughs> matt, well deserved why, matt why did they do so well uh, they did so well because their nearest and dearest rivals blew up their engines and turned themselves upside down like a turtle. <laughs> All right. Okay. Apart from that. And then um, I believe, uh, if yeah. I've understood it correctly from the radio messages, I think Ocon had floor damage and Ricardo really had a bad restart. He was in fifth, sixth, and wound up ninth behind his teammate. And and it was, it was the usual tangle at that point. Mm-hmm where they couldn't get them apart. And then when they went through their pit strategy, they wound up right next to each other again anyway. So McLaren just sort of, well, signs, I will hand it to him. Brilliant drive. He started 15th on the soft tire, wound up fifth. Norris uh, started ninth, had a good start. He gained a couple of positions on the restart. And then he just drove the car. And Mm. once Perez went kaboom, he wound up fourth. And so... McLaren is now 17 points to the good over Racing Point, and I believe, oh, I want to say 21 over Renault. And if it weren't for the fact that, that Racing Point was ahead, and this thing isn't mathematically locked up, yeah, I would say that it was pretty much a done deal. But after today, I'm reluctant to say that. Jules. I, I just want to say McLaren are, are the team I'm most excited about for next season. Uh, everything is pretty much staying the same, but they're going to get the, the Mercedes uh, power units. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo stepping in. I'm, 
I, I think if if a team is gonna make a, a reasonable step forwards, it's it's got to be them, and they're already pretty much uh, where they uh, could possibly be. Yeah, and um, signs is brilliant drive to to build on what Matt was saying, Alex. Um, he pulled off a move. I think it was on Leclerc mid race, and he did something we we rarely really see in the braking zone on the inside of Leclerc. On, hard on the brakes, both of them breaking for the corner, suddenly he just decides to lift, lift the brake, give himself another little extra dart and get down the inside of Leclerc. And, you know, wh- whether or not you think he's got the ultimate pace and he's in the very top tier, the, the lad is a proper, proper racer. I think Carlos is a fabulous driver. I really, really do. And he's a nice guy to boot, which is actually quite inherent of a lot of the new young guys, is they all seem to be no. really, really racy, but also seem quite nice. And for um, now. Which is great to yeah. see. Well, for now, yeah. which is great to see. But um, yeah, that battle between uh, Leclerc and Science was fabulous. And it's quite a common tactic. Yeah. If you're having a lunge down the inside, you release the brake a little bit to give yourself a bit of a nose further forward. But what it also does is it tells the mm. car <laughs> on your outside, you are there yeah. and you are coming for it, which probably is what Fiat should have done to Lance to cement it home especially with lance's um uh penchant for turning in early um but no it was it was fantastic because what it does is it squeezes your opponent on the exit especially at that turn one where it tightens up quite a lot and it means he has to get out of the throttle which then means he can't come back at you down the straight which i think he did anyway um but um um science managed to hold him off wonderfully there was some but the thing is there was a lot of that today there was a lot of fabulous racing today i feel like i need to explain this generational gap though van jean because i think you're on the wrong side of it where everybody who grew up in their 80s and, and 90s uh, are all grumpy and tired drunks uh, whereas all these kids coming through they don't go out they don't drink none of these lads like drink so yeah Kimi raikkonen is there going oh bog off i need to go to bathroom i will have an ice cream because he's absolutely hammered most of the time probably even hamilton he's of that age but these kids coming through they just they don't drink anymore they're addicted to internet and tiktok and that and that's just why they're nicer pretty sure hamilton doesn't drink but um, as as we have discussed on great on in great length i'm not the biggest drinker of the uh, uh, of the world um and you know i can rely on my own happy most of the time Mm. um and i think and it's nice to see with these guys where they do seem to get on and they do their racing on the track and be aggressive with each other on the circuit and not take it off the circuit um however i can't remember who said it the other day um but they did say but we don't know how it's going to be when it comes to a fight. And you had an interview with uh, Science and Lando after the race where they talked about they're still mates and they race each other hard. But at the end of the day, for McLaren, and it's been very clear this season, it has been about the team. We don't care about your egos. We don't care about your finishing positions as individuals. It's the result for the team. And the progression of that McLaren, when you then stick a Mercedes engine in the back of it, um, and the likes of Danny Rick with all his experience, yeah. I think we're going to see that car fly forward, and I can't wait. Okay, so uh, just a quick one. I've come under reasonable fire on emails because I said Signs needed to enjoy his advantage last season um, and, uh, and, and that Lo- uh, Norris would grow and come to overtake him. It's not quite come to fruition this season. It's one of the closest teammate battles, isn't it? It's one point, isn't it? But I think a lot of people would argue that Signs has had maybe a little bit less of the the rub of the green. I'm slightly disappointed we don't get to see that teammate battle go forward to another season because I, I just think 
that Norris has got a slightly higher trajectory in F1 than Carlos Sainz will ultimately have. And I fear Sainz is destined to a kind of Kimi Raikkonen Massa role next season. Matt, we need to move on to the podium, but I'm going to give you 90 seconds to defend your man Ocon there because it did look like he was just completely outpaced, outmatched in every area by Daniel Ricciardo. And that was why he was two one thousandth of a second slower than him in qualifying. Points yeah, on a no, Sunday. It, it did. And I looked at the I looked at the numbers. He was well off the pace. But around about the time they went for their second pit stops, I, I did catch a radio message um, that I thought was from Renault to Ocon. Uh, that said that with the floor damage, basically we want you to swap positions with Daniel coming up. And and they had given him every opportunity to try and go faster. And then at the end of the race, it sounded very much like, oh, well, you know, we're going to learn what we can from this one and move on. So I suspect that either a curb or some debris may have done some damage to his car and, and been a, a part of that uh, pace differential. But the fact of the matter is he was only ever in front of Ricardo in the first place because Ricardo had such a terrible restart, which Ocon, yeah. to be fair, did not. And that's part of the game. Let's move on to the podium. Thank you for listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. If you'd like to support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex or click the link in the show notes, we would be very, very grateful. Um, If you've supported, uh, if you've been listening throughout the whole season, maybe you might consider supporting us. Here's the question I would ask you if... All podcasts on the planet were charged at 33 cents per episode. Would you subscribe to and purchase Missed Apex Podcast? If so, our lowest tier is $1.99. We tend to put out six episodes in a show. So if you think we might be worth 33 cents per episode, we will provide you with an ad-free feed. Uh, You get, when you sign up with Patreon, your own RSS feed to put into the search bar of your podcatcher. If... Like the majority of our patrons, you think that we might be worth $5 a month. We will also invite you into our Slack patron community, which I think is the best forum on the planet to talk about F1 um, in during a race and actually during any time, Vanjie. It's not only F1. It's if you have any form of technical <laughs> issue regarding to anything, they know everything they are an um, there's one particular guy um john in our in our slack who has logged into my computer to fix issues with my pc (laughs) they are amazing people it's an amazing community well we can't sell uh john's uh, expertise as a reason to join the slack community we don't have that authority but what i think alex is alluding to is that our strict non-knobhead rule matt has served us pretty well it's a lovely community to hang out in in fact, uh, Mike Stoner in the chat says he finally gave up thanks to our just <laughs> unwillingness to quit harassing people about sorry, it. Sorry, I'm so sorry. And signed up for the patron today. So thank you, Mike, for doing oh. that. And you will it will be worth your while, assuming you never wish to be productive again in your entire life. And the final thing we do to stop you being productive as a patron is uh, we do do the occasional Friday stream after free practice. So we've done a few this year. They've been they've been very enjoyable, very, very relaxed, you know, not better content, just extra content. And we will be doing one after the Bahrain 2. Uh, it's the Shakir Grand Prix. 
Shakir 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 Grand Prix so after uh, about 5 o'clock on Friday we'll do a patron only live stream we'll do the same for Abu Dhabi as well and uh, we will uh, regardless if you're a patron or not be keeping up with some fantastic uh, uh, well we'll attempt that was an overstretch we'll attempt some fantastic off season programming as well but let me ask a favour of you guys who are getting to the end of the season you're sort of losing interest looking forward to 2021 Subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice and stay subscribed. Uh, Keep those downloads ticking over so that if you fancy checking in with what we're talking about, it's only a very short off season. You can easily go to your podcatcher and play an episode of Missed Apex podcast. We have massive, massive plans for 2021. 2020, all our plans got completely just ripped up and thrown away. And we've been we've been running through mud and we've never worked harder to stay still as an organization, yet still, we had a million audio downloads in the last 365 days. Still, we had nearly 500,000 YouTube views. So even though we've been running through treacle this year, we have built up some muscles on that treacle treadmill. And in 2021, we've got loads we want to do. So stay with us for the off season. If you're checking out of the season, have a fantastic Christmas. Stay safe uh, and we'll see you in March. It's awards time. We've got three awards. Thing of the weekend, the Missed Apex Award, which is a bad thing, and a pony. Jules, Sagers, first of all, tell me where I can find you on the internet. Where can I follow you? Where can I stalk you? Where can I pick your brain? Where can I ask you things? Um, Especially the stalking can happen at Twitter. And my Twitter uh, name is uh, at Jules Sagers. S-E-G-E-R-S. Yeah. Sagers. Dutch names are hard to spell. Like we've known this from Van Gein over there, from Van Jean over there. Very who much. who um, gets your thing of the weekend award? It doesn't have to be a driver. It could be a dog, a puddle. Um, it could be a halo. Crack on. Speaking of dogs, I wanted to go for Sepp singing Who Let the Dogs Out, but I already <laughs> mentioned it. Now, my thing of the weekend was first night race of the season, and we could see the driver's eyes, the ones that had clear visors. We could see their eyes moving around and uh, see what uh, uh, what they do while driving. I always find it fascinating to see. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, Matt Trumpets, who was your thing of the weekend? Well, Jeez, that's going to be a tough one because there were many, many things of this weekend uh, to be uh, grateful for. But I'm going to go with uh, Dr. Ian Roberts assisting Grosjean over the fence in that blaze because, you know, I mean, I know Romain was saving himself, but Roberts, man, he was doing something different. He was he was going forward into the danger to help someone. Mm. And I think that deserves a doff of the cap. You you find the helpers in this world. When things are going wrong, there are many, many people, rightly and fairly, running away from danger. But there are some very special human beings that head towards the danger. Right? And, you know, if kids, if you're listening, look out. When there's something bad happening, you can spot those individuals. They're, they're a little bit special. And um, is it Ian Roberts? Yes. Yeah, I think um, he was one of those today. And and in fact, though, my thing of the weekend, I'm going to have to just go to Roman Grosjean getting him out of that car. We literally, literally watched a life or death situation. We watched a man fight 
for his life today. He kept it cool and calm. And we're never going to get the onboard of him taking off his seatbelt, climbing out of the, the halo from the side, leaping out of the flames and rescuing himself. But it was impossible for anyone else to help him. And lad done good today. Do you know, he's a he's a father of three, Alex. There's three kids at home sitting there hoping daddy gets out of the flame. And he and he did it. And I can only imagine those 40 seconds must have been the longest 40 seconds of his life. I um I completely forgot until quite long after the race when they mentioned it on 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 the broadcast on Sky that obviously he's got three kids at home and as a father it <laughs> it got to me um to, to to for that sort of thing I mean F one safety was going to be my thing of the weekend but I'll 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 give that to Matt <laughs> because it really really was it shows the strides this sport has made to try and look after these superstars in a high-speed sport um, where anything can go wrong. Um, and they'll learn lessons from today. I don't. I think those kind of barriers will now disappear. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll see those barriers anymore. Um, so I'm going to give, I'm going to leave the safety aspect and let Matt have that. So my, my thing of the weekend was just the phenomenal racing we had this weekend, apart from mm. one big incident um, between, and I'm not including the Grosjean one on this, but between uh, the, the Racing Point and the Alpha Tauri, um, we saw no real contact, proper contact uh, between drivers today. And their moves were clean, they were concise, and this track was just fantastic for it. So mine is going towards to all the drivers for absolutely incredible racing standards. All right, and um, enough positivity. Oh, no, you missed the apex. I, I mean, we had the idea to do the Missed Apex Award at the beginning, and we've doggedly stuck to it. So this is the Bad Thing Award, uh, where we, as punters, sat in sheds and sofas, get to judge millionaires risking their lives at the very top of their game. You know, ah, uh, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Jules, who missed the Apex for you? Be as judgmental as you want. Uh, gotta be the new Pirelli tires that the drivers tested. They oh. sounded awful. Well, the drivers sounded awful talking about it. Do we get the matte seal of disapproval in that? Uh, the drivers disapproved of the previous tires that would have removed the need for the new generation of tires, plus the massive aerodynamic redesign that the teams will now have to pay for. Drivers just want tires that go fast for the next lap. And that's nice. But this is also why we don't let toddlers choose what they get to have for breakfast. The, the drivers, <laughs> the, the drivers shouldn't get to choose the tires, and the drivers shouldn't get to choose the track limits. You know, they shouldn't get to go. Oh, it's a bit hard to take that corner. So can we can we have the track limits knocked away for that? Because then they just took the mick all weekend. Um, but that's not my that's not my missed apex. My missed apex um, is Lewis Hamilton. What? For not knowing for not knowing who Franz Tost is. Oh yeah, that was funny. Come yeah. on, Louis. <laughs> no, but oh no, 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 no. Any Jules, Jules, defense or or agreeing. Yeah, but yeah, but but didn't you guys think that he was just like kind of joking around, just saying like who is that just because he no. thought there was a stupid no. remark by Franz? <laughs> I don't think so, Matt. 
Uh, my total defense is that I think Hamilton has every right to not have any idea who Franz Dost is, <laughs> especially in the middle of a press conference where he's thinking about nine million mm. other things. It's not like they said team principal of AlphaTauri, and he goes, AlphaTauri, what team is that? So that would have been bad. There's there's one theory, I guess, which is that it was a flex in that Franz Tost is going, oh, no one should be getting paid over $10 million. Uh, so that feels like a specific attack at Lewis Hamilton. So it is a flex then, isn't it, Van Jean, to sit there and go, who? Who's she? Franz Tost, never heard of her, as the meme goes. If Lewis was a sarcastic type, <laughs> yes. I'd go with it. But he's not. He's he, not no. he very much says what he feels yeah. um, and I don't feel it was a flex however um, that Franz Tost comment was completely and utterly buried this weekend because the drivers well and truly proved they are worth every single penny that any team decides to pay them and whether it is half a million quid or 40 million quid um, they are putting their lives on the line for us and there is no value on their lives but to be clear they pay F1 drivers based on A their commercial value I think probably more than anything, and then be their ability to deliver championship points, which translate to, to money. So they're paid their commercial value. And I've never had a problem with drivers being paid what they're worth. Lewis Hamilton made a very, very valid point, is, which was that in series where there is cost caps, the, drivers ha- uh, the athletes have um, image rights, whereas the FIA hold image rights for the drivers in F1. A, a debate we can have at length in the off-season, and I'm, and I'm absolutely sure uh, that we will. Matt Trumpets, have you given a missed Apex Award yet? I don't think you have. No, I've not. I've not. And I've thought about this. And, and, and it is kind of hard. The, the radio messages weren't great. But I think it might have to go to Stroll Ooh. for being upside down and not saying he's hanging like a cow, which was Hulkenberg's response Hulkenberg's to the thing, same yeah. situation. And mm. I felt much more entertaining. Yeah, he's got a definite kind of radio tone. I don't think anything would phase him. I think if at Interlagos he was to accidentally leave the venue, be mugged, held as part of our cartel and forced to do their bidding, he would come over the radio and say, yes, there is a complete uh, drug deal at 1500 hours. My life is in great threat. If you could help me, that would be nice. Alex, I just think that's how he talks. You obviously haven't heard his radio after he got pole last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. He went absolutely <laughs> mental. Yes, boys. Yes, boys. He was. It was actually nice to see some emotion from him. And it's actually he had an interview afterwards um, where he was very quick to say, "I'm fine." It was slow speed. Yeah. It just. It was just the angle we got hit, and it just rolled over. Um, he'd have just. He'd have probably found it funny hanging there. Um, and it was a shame that. Um, uh gary anderson mentions on twitter okay that... right i wasn't going to mention I... him i wasn't going to mention i didn't want to call him out because it was a... why not because it was a bad take it saved the guy's life today it was a really bad in... take okay so look, look I'll, I'll paraphrase the the tweaks i can't remember it verbatim but it was essentially we saw the good side of the halo because uh, of roman grosjean and we saw the bad side because it flipped Lance Stroll and made it harder to get out. Those two things are not comparable. The Halo, mm-hmm. good side today, it saved Roman Grosjean's life and meant that we're not sitting here talking about the death of an F1 driver. Oh, the bad side, it was slightly inconvenient for Lance Stroll on an unlucky slow speed flip. Like, that is a bad take from Gary Anderson. He is a very well-respected member of the F1 community. I'm a big fan of his, but that was not good. For the record... 
I wasn't going to name him until until you did, Alex. But yes, that irked me. Yeah, it, it irked me too because it wasn't even difficult for him to get out. He undid his belts and he fell out the car. I mean, getting out of an upside down car isn't easy. <laughs> so you yeah. know, what more yeah. could they have wanted? So I, I'm, I, I was annoyed by that. Tweet. I was. Let, um, let's move on from that. I, I, I slightly regret. I have a pony though. I, sli- I slightly regret that we've named Gary Anderson there, having been a fan Sorry. of literally everything else he's done. But I'll be honest, I stand by it. That it was a bad take. Uh, my 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 missed apex award goes to not paying marshals. I don't know. I don't know what we can do about that. I don't know if we can have a petition or whatever. But there's there's lots of money in F1. Why do we rely on volunteers to go and save people? Right. Uh, we have uh, the pony award, don't we? That that's a thing. That's a real thing that exists. Looks like Van Jeans volunteered to go first. I have a comedy pony. I haven't actually got one for a driver. I've got one for Martin Brundle, which is when he complained about his cup of tea as, oh. it, came into the, as it came into the cops box. Because and Laser, Simon Lazenbury bought him a cup of tea that he didn't approve of because it was in a small cup and didn't have enough milk in it. And he was really, really disappointed. I, 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 fully, believe, me. I fully believe that was a joke. And if you look on my Twitter feed today, I was, I was basically, I was tweeting my admiration of Martin Brundle because he does come up with some just absolutely cracking off-the-cuff stuff. Like, if you're not careful there, that's how you end up wearing an F1 car. And, you know, there are so many Martinisms. And as much as I love the BBC commentary, which I always, always watch for, listen to for the free practice, even with the pictures, um, and as much as I love the Channel 4 coverage, Martin Brundle is an institution in F1 commentary, and you always feel in safe hands when he's on the mic. Alex. Totally, totally agree. Um, he properly made me laugh. It was I've actually got it written down as one of my things of the weekend was when he was talking about Perez leaving Racing Point and he said, what are they going to do at the end of the last race? Hold a board out that says P45. Oh, I know, yes. <laughs> I, just thought, yeah. I laughed so yeah. hard. I thought of you, to be honest, Spanners. Um, <laughs> but I laughed form. so hard because that was that was brilliant. And Love also, you, my, yeah, my own comment about Perez leaving the sport is I feel that he is going to leave the sport. I feel like he's leaving it on his shield with honour. That was uh, a nailed-on podium in performance today, coming off a second place, coming off being potentially 70 points off his teammate today, but I think it's something like 100 to 40 or whatever. I don't know. Um, Is that right, Alex? Something like that? I can't remember what the points are, but Lance said in his interview, he scored two points since Monza. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realise it was quite that bad. And he said it's been a disaster. Yeah, yeah, guys, there's there's this smashing stat that says uh, that Sergio Perez scored 78 points in the last seven races against two points for Lance Stroll. And I know he's been out with COVID, but still. Mm. Imagine being a so- racing point engineer going into next season and Perez is leaving, Stroll saying... Well, th- this was the argument. Holidays. This was the argument we made with the Williams engineers and how their morale must have been during the the Stroll Sorokin era. For the record, I think Stroll is probably better now than he was in that era. It's very clear he's not uh, not at the top top level. He's he's not at the Perez level. He's not at the Stroll level. Um, make the defense. Uh, sorry, I said Stroll. Sorry, not at the Vettel level. Who is coming in to be his teammate? Um, email us. Uh, at Matt Manning. PT 
at 55 at mattpt55 at gmail.com if you disagree with that. that statement matt said that it was matt that said that statement uh, nope, right any more I ponies mean... are we good are we good oh one more pony. One. Oh, jules go for it yeah i thought some would go for seb fettel's uh, team radio uh, about leclerc but i wanted to actually give it to uh, charles leclerc for going for that space that they have <laughs> apparently had discussed that morning not to do it. And he was still like, I want that space. I want that gap. So, yeah. Yeah, that's actually, it's a good shout. And I think Seb, he made a good case for that, which is we talked to, talking about giving each other space. And Seb leapt out of the way. The interesting comment from that was, maybe it would have been a better option to crush, i.e. hold your line, let Leclerc hit you and go, well, see, that's what we were talking about. If he was staying at Ferrari, that would have been the right move. But he's moving on. Seb's taking the right approach. I reckon if Seb was still in the mental space he was in, like, mid-season, he would maybe have done that. But he's he's gone now, <laughs> and he's he's in a, in, a, in a better mental place. But I, I reckon he might have done that. Like, I'm, I'm staying put. But, okay. Despite... Um his performances on the track this year. He's actually been a class act as a human being this year, Sebastian Vettel. Um, mm. He's been, he said the right things at the right time. Um, and I think he's, he's actually a model F1 driver now of the way you should behave. Fantastic. Matt, we've had a great season so far. We've got two races left. And even though they're dead rubbers, I hope that they can entertain us in the way this Bahrain Grand Prix has done. And in any case, we always have a fantastic time coming here on um, on a Sunday night, driven by the energy of, I believe, 6,400 people have logged in to watch our stream at any given point today. They just don't tell me those numbers. <laughs> and no, it's not over until a third place team has a 50 point lead. That's what I'm going to tell you with one race to go. That's good. We'll focus on that. We're going to get out of here, guys. But before we do, we have one last award, which is. Comment of the week. Matt, I'm super duper serious. Three candidates and then a winner. Come on, man. Four, four, four. How's that? Four. Come on. A good thing I can count. Um, but first, I'm going to shout out Eric Davis, EJ, formerly known as I Hammer, and Mark Greenhow for dumping some money to us in the Super Chat. Thank you all very much. We do appreciate that. And we notice, even if we don't say it at the time. Um, and of course, Mike Stoner for signing up for Patreon. Everybody else on the chat can go do that right now if they feel like it. Patreon.com really forward slash Missed Apex. At all. Mm. Um, and now, to the mispronunciation uh, Danielson555, five, five, five. from now on, Perez should be pronounced P-Raz, <laughs> which I think I could get down with as an announcer. P-Raz, Sergio, P-Raz, Perez. I'd rather go more French, Perez. I'd rather go that okay, way. Fair mm. enough. Um, discussing the dog versus cat debacle. Cats Mark win. Greenhouse says, Australians are highly trained to look out for things that will kill them. If it had been a drop bear, he'd have known what it was straight away. Australia is a savage and devastatingly deadly place to live. Everyone should move. Commenting on my hair is Paolo Veri saying, really? is Matt attempting a button going on a totally different hair strategy from the rest of the panel? I think uh, there's been some comments on my hair as well. I have gone for a full number one. <laughs> Sorry for any alarm caused. Is absolutely no worry. Uh, Lydia Cruz reacting to someone calling it the Shakira GP in the chat goes, the Grand Prix's hips don't lie. 
Mmm, a pop culture reference. I'm going to smile as if I'm young enough to get it. And uh, I think we will wind up with Low Stealth discussing Lance Stroll's uh, remarkable everything being everybody else's fault with Racing Point. Lance hit the front jack man because he was standing in the wrong spot. The front jack man had moved forward quite clearly. Yes, absolutely. Who's our winner, Matt? I think our winner has to be Danielson555. From now on, Perez should be pronounced Piraz, if only because it gives me cover for saying Botas. Comment of the week. Thanks for joining us for our Bahrain race review. Please go and follow our panel at Jules Sagers, at Jules Sagers, S-E-G-E-R-S, on Twitter. Please do follow Alex Van Jean. He's getting all up in there in the Twitterness. He's saying stuff. He's having opinions. He's become quite the hot take guy. At Alex Van Jean, V-A-N-G-E-E-N. What else do you want to plug, Alex? YouTube. Go to my YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube, and then watch me on Wednesdays generally crash in an f1 race um on iRacing. i i, I on i racing uh i do some i racing um i'll also be doing some elite dangerous and some spacey stuff and some shooty stuff um especially come week especially in two weeks time when there's no i racing going on so youtube alex van Jean, subscribe please follow my friend matt two rumpets at matt pt 55 on twitter you don't have a youtube channel but you do have a wife she writes books you should find those books by looking in the show notes where we will have a link to all amanda's books which are basically matt trumpet's fan fiction uh yeah sure you go on and believe that it's good for me i do believe it and you can follow me at spanners ready i'm the best one or the show at missed apex f1 you can catch me and matt chatting about not non-f1 things every thursday at 2 p.m uk time on the remain indoors podcast or you can listen to my spotify premium only music show spanners 90s radio don't call it nostalgia it just happened we've got joe sayward on tuesday we've got matt carter the tuesday after that we've got another race review on sunday wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 